0: Thank you for tuning in to Change and Thrive with Dr. Wendy Heckelman. We've enjoyed sharing with you these past few months. If you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe. That way you never miss an episode. We'd love to continue sharing with you. So go ahead and get caught
1: up on anything you've missed. On our first episode, I wanna talk about change and what makes change initiatives successful and the critical role of a transition leader. So let's start with some basic facts. Would you believe that 70% of all large-scale change initiatives fail? And failure is defined as not realizing the intended results of a strategy. So most of the research I've done over the last 25 years is to examine what do the 30% who are successful do? What is unique and what characteristics or processes do they put in place? So let me share those with you for a few minutes. And the first is organizations that are part of the 30% success club, as I like to call it, address change on three levels. Organizationally, at the team level, and at the individual level. And at the organizational level, they define and communicate the vision and strategy. They build commitment to it, and they ensure reward and recognition structures align with intended results. At the team level, they translate strategic goals to team responsibilities, address the impact of the changes to work and the team, and they strive and work deliberately to build high-performing teams. And at the individual level, they address me issues that individuals have as they undergo change, they clarify roles and responsibilities, and they reward and recognize and reinforce desired behaviors and values. Another component of the 30% Success Club is they identify and proactively manage the biggest risks that jeopardize their business during the transition process. They make sure that they've identified what is most critical and put mitigation strategies in place to guide them. I first want to introduce you to a validated change management framework called the five C's of transition leadership and discuss the critical role communication plays throughout the process. I'm pleased to introduce Cheryl Unger, who has been a trusted member of the WLH team for over 20 years and has helped to design the 5Cs framework. Hi, Wendy. I'm very excited to be with you all today to talk about both the 5Cs of transition leadership and how important it's been to our clients who love the framework because it helps them deal with so many challenges when they're going through change and to develop their own change capabilities. Thank you, Cheryl. Change is a traumatic event for many people. However, change also has the potential to unlock the most marvelous results. It doesn't need to be a dirty word. In fact, effective change can help reveal industry domination or start a revolution for your product or service, or help an organization become much more effective. I want to share a little bit that the five C's of transition leadership is a deliberate framework that is used to implement change while accounting for the tremendous variability across an organization. It is validated by empirics and experience, obtained from working on hundreds of projects over the last three decades. It solves the two critical change failures. First, lack of effective implementation planning. And second, lack of the leader's ability to guide others through transition. The five C's focuses first on the individual leader who is so critical in helping their teams go through change. Second, the five C's focuses on the impact of change on the team and individual direct reports. And third, Its focus is on the business and operational issues and risks. I'm going to share some best practices over the next several minutes. But first, I wanna level set on a few key points. First, every organization has a culture. An organizational culture is a system of shared assumptions, values, and beliefs, which govern how people behave in the organization. These shared values have a strong influence on people and dictate how they dress, how they act, and how they perform their jobs. The second point is culture can be purposely defined or it will happen by default. We also recognize that engaging in organizational culture change can be very challenging. It can be daunting, however, the benefits far outweigh the costs. So let me share with you five key best practices. The first, as culture change takes place more effectively when worked at three levels, the organizational, team, and individual. At the organizational level, leaders are asking questions such as, what are the core values and beliefs? What needs to be retained? What needs to change? How will we cascade, reinforce, and adapt our culture over time? At the team level, team leaders are asking, how can the team work together to support these goals? How do the changes taking place impact our team? How does team functioning need to shift and evolve? And at the individual level, The questions you ask are, how will the change impact the people in the organization? Do individuals feel the environment is inclusive? In today's episode, we're going to talk about leading during these difficult times and what organizations can do to support their leaders to be more effective with their teams. So I'm pleased to introduce Phil Sigler, who is the Director of Commercial Training and Development. Phil, welcome to the podcast today. How's it going, Wendy? It's going great. I'm so excited that you're able to join us and share some insights. Since we've been working together over the last year and change, I approached you and shared with you that because COVID was really impacting everything, right? How we work, why we work, where we work, what we worked on, Mm -hmm. and was creating such disruption, we were talking about some of the challenges, you know, that people might have. And um, when it first started, when code first started, where did you see some of the leadership challenges, you know, at Synovian that the leaders in the organization faced?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So we've talked about VUCA before, and that uncertainty piece of that was really evident during this time you know, leaders were concerned about how to keep their employees engaged while maintaining a level of expectation about work requirements. But the problem was that we had entered into an environment that was completely uncertain. I mean, from having nearly 100% face-to-face coaching conversations to being 100% virtual, people just weren't expecting it. So we have some new managers, in fact, who haven't even met anyone from their team in person. So it really has just been a different time for these individuals, for our leaders.
1: Thank you, Phil, for that. You mentioned VUCA. In today's episode, we're going to talk about the importance of leadership commitment when inside your change journey. I've had the privilege to work with Kyle Janay, Chief Commercial Officer at Axia, For over 13 years through several transformations from very different companies to join our conversation today and offer his valuable insights on how leaders can commit during change. Kyle, I'm so happy to have you on today's
3: show. Wendy, thanks for the invitation, and I'm glad to be here.
1: Well, Kyle, you know, I'm really excited because we know through research and experience that two things drive successful change an effective implementation cascade, a roadmap, which we know from all of our work, and leaders who can lead their teams through transition. So you and I have spent a lot of time talking about the importance of leaders first dealing with the impact of change on a personal level. Why do you feel this is so critical?
3: Yeah, Winnie, this is a great question. I think uh, most importantly, in order for business to be successful and for people to lead effectively, they, they've got to be personally invested in this. I always think about the head and the heart. I think those two things go together. I think you've got to make sure that people gain buy-in. I think people have to be able to commit. And I think about how they ultimately feel gets them aligned in order to lead their teams appropriately. And those are really important things.
1: I totally agree with you. And we know how important it is for leaders to work through their own feelings and go through this transition cycle first before they're ready to support their team. Another component that we talk about is once you're working through the process of dealing with the change, how important is it from your perspective to communicate? We talk about the why and the what and then the how as an organization goes through change. In today's episode, I'm going to share some tips and best practices to create a high-performing team to deliver results when undergoing organizational change. Or as I like to say, when there is transition from what is old and familiar to something different and new. As an individual leader, especially if you're assigned a new team, your first and most important goal is to get your team up and running in the first 90 days. So what are some important considerations and best practices you can employ to get your team up, running, and moving to high performance? First, it's imperative that you assess your team's readiness for change and assess where they are along the team development cycle. Understanding their readiness is important as you begin your change journey with your team. As a leader, communicating the strategy and establishing a vision for your team is paramount. It is important that your team understands how the team's vision connects to the organization's strategy and vision. Stephen Covey, In his book, The Eighth Habit, describes the impact of not having a shared vision. Would you believe that Covey found that only 37% of individuals had a clear understanding of what the organization was trying to achieve and why? And only one in five individuals said they had clear line of sight between their tasks and the team and organizational goals. For me and for you. That should be extremely alarming. If you're a leader of a new team, or you have new team members, or the organization has shifted priorities, it's extremely critical that you establish and communicate your vision to the team and how it's connected to the organization's overall vision and goals. In today's episode, we're going to talk about the importance of planning for risk. I've had the privilege to work with Kerry Clem, Senior Vice President, Sales and Payer Relations at of Therapeutics for over 13 years through several transformations, to join our conversation and offer his valuable insights on how leaders can proactively plan for risks and engage their leaders at all levels. Kerry, I am so happy to have you here today and thank you for making time.
2: Wendy, it's my pleasure, I'm happy to be here as well.
1: Well, we know, Carrie, that through research and experience, that two things drive successful change. One, an effective implementation cascade, a roadmap, and leaders who can lead their teams through transition. And you and I have spent a lot of time talking about the importance of establishing the business case for change and readying organizations with a deliberate implementation plan. Um, why do you believe this is so critical,
2: Wendy? You know, as you know, uh, as an emerging biotech organization, change is inevitable because you're constantly evolving in order to take yourself to the next level. But not all change carries the same implications. Uh, we've called upon our relationship with WLH on many occasions, but I'll focus on two that were, you know, really extremely business critical. The first involved preparing our organization to launch the company's second commercially available product. This opportunity presented a host of potential challenges because we were launching into an unfamiliar market after enjoying years of success promoting our flagship product in another area. Inherently, this created some angst amongst the team because that meant that we were going from being a well-established known entity with strong relationships and a high level of expertise to really starting over again as an unproven player with limited knowledge in this new space.
1: In today's episode, I'm going to share with you some tips and best practices to coach direct reports through transition. I am pleased to be joined here today with Loretta Kate, who is a trusted member of the WH team and leads our leadership development practice area. Loretta, welcome. Thank you, Wendy. I'm excited to be a part of today's podcast. I certainly believe that leading through change or leading through transition, as we call it, is the new normal. Absolutely. And I think before we start to talk about transition coaching, it's really important that we level set the difference between change and transition. Change is something that is done to you. It's an event. It's tangible and concrete. In organizations, change can represent announcements related to strategic shifts, which we're seeing a lot of, mergers and acquisitions, restructuring, new leadership, or enterprise-wide initiatives. Change has also been the impact of COVID on organizations. However, transition is about how you respond to change. It is deeply personal, intangible, and different for everyone who experiences the event. Loretta, we know when organizations are going through large-scale change, there are often implications to individual roles and expectations. Can you take a moment, please, and define transition coaching and why it is so critical as part of any organization's change initiative? I would love to, Wendy. You know, transition coaching is unique, and it's a very powerful method that helps leaders guide and support their direct reports during times of change and transition. So keep in mind that it's very different from performance coaching, developmental, or even career coaching. In today's session, we're going to talk about the first step in a diversity, equity, and inclusion journey and that is awareness. And we like to think of organizational commitment to DEI on a spectrum that really starts with awareness of the individual and group biases and move into the assessment of an organizational culture, as well as those supporting practices, and then to really move the needle to take action. Today is about setting the strong foundation for prioritizing awareness. So I am super pleased to introduce our first guest in this series, Tiana Tai, who is a trusted member of the WH team. So Tiana, welcome, and I'd love for you to introduce yourself and share a little bit about your background.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This is one of those topics that's always a little gritty to talk about, but still really exciting at the same time because any conversation is really moving the narrative, right? So, like you already mentioned, my name is Tiana Tai. Um, I am an industrial organizational psychologist. So, sometimes people's eyes glaze over when I say that. Basically, it's simply put, studying human behavior in the workplace and applying those principles to things like organizational development, leadership development, so on and so forth. So, Just being here and talking about DEI and culture change in the context of the pharma space is really, really exciting. And I think it's a conversation that needs to be had because traditionally we know some of these activities were kind of check the box. You know what I'm saying? So it's really, yeah, it's good just to open up the conversation and start talking about, like you said, at the foundational level, how can we begin building awareness as a first step?
1: You mentioned Pharma and Tiana, you've been working at WH for the last several years and you have grown tremendously in your role since from when you started, uh, because I think we've had a pretty nice, strong mentoring relationship. In most cases, I would say it would be sponsorship, right? Because I'm gonna advocate for you. Uh, But let's talk about really um, from your perspective, Mm -hmm. in your professional capacity and also in some of your experiences, why should organizations prioritize awareness at the individual level? Let's talk about the criticality of that. You know what? One of the things
0: that's coming up for me when I think about why at the individual level is it's going to sound really simple, but the reality is we are all human. We are all perceptive. And even within the context of our organizations, we can feel when the culture does not support us on an individual level.
1: As we start today's podcast, we're going to talk about assessment and what organizations need to do to examine their existing work practices to put meaningful action in place. And today I'm pleased to introduce Stephen Contra, who is a trusted member of the WH team on today's podcast. Welcome, Steve. Um, please share a few bits about your background to our audience.
3: Hi, Wendy. It's great to be with you and with the audience today. This is the first time for me to actually uh, participate in a podcast, so I'm interested as well as a listening to a participant as much as someone who's contributing. Just a little bit about my background. Before joining WLH a few years ago in a consulting role and bringing some of my past experiences, I spent about 35 years in industry. And uh, it's, it's sort of a diverse background. I've had a number of different roles, um, starting out in commercial positions, sales, and the like, um, the first portion of my career, but eventually going into um, training and then followed by um, organizational talent and capability type roles, including my um, final job, which was the vice president of global learning and development. But in that capacity, I also served on the global uh, talent and capability uh, leadership team where I was exposed to a number of different types of talent issues, as well as an extensive experience in change, change management and culture work. So today I hope um, our discussion leads me some opportunities to be able to share some experiences that I've had that maybe the audience will benefit from.
1: Well, thank you, Steve. It's so excited to have you on the show. You bring a wealth of experience and expertise. So let's get started. The one thing that we know, and it is, in order to create a culture of inclusivity and the need to attract, we talk a lot about attract, retain, and develop employees. It's imperative. We like to think of organizational commitment to DEI on a spectrum that first starts with awareness of individual and group biases and the moves to assessment of work culture and work practices and then moves into action using these insights from assessment to take deliberate action and in order to meaningfully move the needle these actions need to occur on three levels first at the organizational level second at the manager, direct report level, and lastly, at the individual level. This episode is going to break down how to have genuine change across all of these levels. So first, let's talk about what needs to happen at the organizational level. Senior leaders need to clearly communicate, model, and reinforce the values and beliefs that they want the organization in their culture to have. And they also need to, after assessing their work practices and systemic inequalities, senior leaders must push to adapt policies and practices to support DEI initiatives and take a definitive stance against all inequities. So first, let's talk a little bit about defining and reinforcing values to support an inclusive culture. At WH Consulting, we use the Bear model for culture transformation work, which starts at the foundation of beliefs to make sure that the organization has defined and communicated those core beliefs and values. As you can see, we've been learning about a
0: lot, and we'd appreciate it if you comment and let us know what you'd like to hear about next. See you soon visit wlhconsulting.com and or wlhlearning.com.